you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Yeah, we're going to be taking care of business today, doing it a little bit different today. You know, I'm extremely fortunate to have some amazing friends, not just business acquaintances, but true friends that I share life with, and I hope you do as well. And we talk a lot about the fact that content is king. That means your skills, your talents, your business, your book, your core message, yes, that's king, but connections are queen. And guess who rules the castle? The queen. Well, today's podcast is about connections in at least two ways. I'm interviewing my friend, Andy Andrews, on today's podcast. Now, Andy, I'm sure you recognize the name. He's loved around the world as the author of books like The Traveler's Gift, The Heart Mender, The Final Summit, The Lost Choice, and golly, many more. Stories from, well, I think it's Beaverton Springs, just some, he is the most amazing storyteller I have ever heard in the world. Heard him the first time at a Dave Ramsey Christmas party years ago, and I mean, he had us rolling on the floor with telling some of his stories. But he has this magical way of weaving stories and life principles together in a way that pulls me in as no other writer ever has. I mean, I don't read fiction. I don't enjoy it. I consider it, gee, it's not a great use of my time. Now, Andy challenges me on that. You're going to hear that in the interview. But I read nonfiction. I write nonfiction. I couldn't write fiction if I had to. Andy weaves these two together. So I don't know if I'm just reading a fiction book or if it is nonfiction. But he's got a brand new book out titled The Noticer Returns. And in this interview, we're talking about the connections provided by Jones the central character in The Noticer, and now again in The Noticer Returns. But it doesn't matter if if you read the book or not. You're going to hear Andy talk about the power of connections, about seeking out great mentors in our lives, about identifying who are the influencers in your life. Andy also talks about the difference between an average life and an extraordinary life. Andy's a friend, as I've already said, as well as a business acquaintance. I think you're going to enjoy this interview. Well, Andy Andrews, I am delighted to include you in to this conversation here. We've been talking about you, shared with readers how your books have impacted me over the years. Not only your books, but your friendship as well. So it's a delight to have you on the call with us today. Greetings. Hey, Dan, the man. I am excited to be with you guys, too. Thank you for having me. Well, absolutely. Well, you know, your books have affected a whole lot of people. I love the story about you starting your writing, and it wasn't easy. All those rejections that would have stopped a lot of people, but you just kept hammering away, opened the door for the wonderful flood of books that you've shared. Well, you know, know, that that first book uh, that was turned down so many times, like 51 different publishers turned it down, that was The Traveler's Gift. And so I made the, uh, I made the, I guess the wrong move when I put that seventh decision in there because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get this book published and the seventh decision is 
I will persist without exception. So, I, you know, I was boxed in. I'd painted myself in a corner, so it didn't matter if there was 51 rejections or 151 rejections. I was prepared to go, so... Well, that's an amazing story, and certainly put to test one of your principles right out of the gate. As you know, a lot of wannabe authors, you know, stop and hang their head after the third rejection, never to write again. Oh yeah, it, it does kill me. People will come up to me sometime and they'll say, "Well, I, was, I guess I was glad to hear that story because I, I've written a book, and I, I'm publishers are turning me down over and over and over." And I'm like, "Really? Like how many times?" And they'll go like. Well, well, three. And I'm like, yeah, okay, over and over and over. That would be three, wouldn't it? And I'm like, good grief. Yeah. But I, but I am convinced, Dan, and don't you think this too sometimes? Don't you think that the best book that has ever been written uh, is probably stuck in somebody's drawer somewhere because, uh, you know, a couple or three people told them no, and they, they gave up. I think you're exactly right. Now, we've had the pleasure here of working with a lot of authors, and we hear those stories, and a lot of times just giving people a little encouragement prompts them to rebirth that idea that was set in their dormant, and then we get great stories like The Traveler's Gift. Well, we're talking about a brand-new book that you have that you're releasing to us in the waiting world here. The Noticer Returns. Now, The Noticer was, you know, I, I would hate to have to rank your books in terms of my favorites, but <laughs> The Noticer was certainly high on the list. I've made a very good living helping people see things that other people miss right. just in their own lives. Right. Now, tell us a little bit about The Noticer. Set the stage here, and then we'll go into the new sequel that you've got here, but The Noticer itself. Yeah, the, fir story? the first book was really kind of a story I never thought that I would tell, um, because for a long time, I didn't tell anybody about that time in my life. And, uh, you know, when my parents died, they both died when I was 19, my mom of cancer, my dad was killed in a car accident, and, and I took a bad situation and made it worse, and w within a couple of years was literally homeless before that was even a word you know people weren't talking about and nobody used the term homeless like 30 something years ago but i was sleeping under a pier on the gulf coast and in and out of people's garages which is not safe or smart but i did and uh you know sometime during that period i met this old guy late one night under my pier scared me to death uh and he called himself Jones. That's that's what we call him. Not Mr. Jones, just Jones. And he was a very odd old guy. But he was he was gruff. He was funny. He was uh, to the point. Uh, he could be without tact at all, and yet raise his eyebrows in such a way that you weren't offended by what he said. But man. He could get to the truth faster than anybody ever saw in my life. And, and Jones was big on perspective. Um, yeah, I remember one time, Dan, he told me, he said, you know, most people live their lives almost to almost. And I said, like, what does that mean? He said, well, you know, especially in crisis, people are so desperate to find an answer that a lot of times they'll shove an answer into the square hole where an answer doesn't really fit yet. He said, sometimes answers are a matter of timing. And he said, and if you shove that answer in there, he said, you'll get something, but it won't be the best. It won't hit that perfect target. And he said, so you'll be like to the right of the target a few meters, and 
life starts from there. Well, you get in the habit of forcing those answers, you get a little farther and farther away from the target. And he said that's why people get to the age of 40 or 50, and, and they start talking like this. They start saying things like, you know, it seemed like, you remember a few years ago, it just seems like our, our finances, like we were almost, you know, it seemed like one time I just thought that our marriage was almost, he said, and everything in retrospect was almost. He said they live in their lives almost to almost. But when you have perspective, and that is how you live your life, he said perspective, even in crisis, perspective brings calm. Calm leads to clear thinking. Clear thinking yields ideas. And from ideas, we get answers. And so this old man really was with me at a critical time in my life, started me reading biographies, I eventually read over 200 of them, and those biographies are where the seven decisions for the traveler's gift came from. But the book, The Noticer, uh, is it chronicles that in the first chapter. The very first chapter of The Noticer is true. Uh, it was one of Good Morning America's Book of the Months, and and um, the rest of the, the the book, the old man... It just happens to be at a particular place at a particular time when somebody's having a challenge. And so in the noticer, he deals with a, a marriage situation that, you know, for the past several years, I've heard people over and over giving that book and using that in marriage seminars. He deals with uh, teenagers who are um, kind of deciding about their dating and what they're going to be doing, and he's dealing with them. He deals with a an unethical businessman. He deals with a person who's uh, going through the throes of depression. And uh, he he deals with a um, an older lady, an elderly lady, who feels like her life is over, that she's just kind of waiting to die because she's already done what she was supposed to do. And so that whole book, The Noticer, really it caught something with people. And so while people come up to me with the traveler's gift and they'll say they love the seven decisions. Well, people come up to me about the noticer and they say, I love Jones. I wish I could meet Jones. And that one part, the so-and-so and so-and-so, that helped me. And I gave 20 books away because of that one part. Mm-hmm. And so that's oh. really what that, that book was about. Well, and, and it helps us recognize the importance of the little decisions that we make. Sometimes, like you say, you're going from almost to almost, but we're waiting until something happens, like the life we're living now is really insignificant. It's just kind of a time placer to get us to what's really important. But, you know, I, we just had an event here recently, and we were telling people that you know, they're creating a movie of their life. Right. Every scene counts. How you spoke to your spouse this morning or treated your kids or how you responded to the waitress at lunch today, those are all permanent parts of the movie you're writing about your life. And the noticer was a great, a great picture of helping us recognize that. Now, as you go into the noticer returns, some of the things that you address are like, what's the difference between an average life? and an extraordinary life. I love the way you unpack that. Well, here, here's something, and i got to tell you first. If I never thought I was going to do the first book, I really never considered that I would run into the old man again. 
And as you know, the, the books I write are stories. You know, they make the smart authors like you and Mike Hyatt write nonfiction books. People like me have to write stories. And, <laughs> and so it's the only way I can remember anything. But this story of how I ran into this old guy again and what I learned from him uh, is really amazing. But one of the things, and it's kind of a theme running through the book, you ask the difference in uh, an extraordinary life and an average life, um, one of the things that he laid out for me that just still blows my mind, and he calls it the, the uh, secret philosophy of extreme achievement. And, and it is basically that we already know what we know, right? I mean, we, we know what we know. And so we, when we bump up against what we know, we kind of move off to the side and try to work on something we don't know. But if you look at your life and realize that everybody knows what they know, and, and if you also consider the fact, have you ever been sure about something and you could argue it and you could win the argument and then you found out later you were wrong? Well, of course, we've all done that. Okay, so if we've been wrong about something we've been sure about before, does the possibility exist that we might be wrong about something now? And, and you would say, well, of course, Andy, obviously it, it, the possibility exists that I might be wrong about something. Okay, well, if the possibility exists that you're wrong about something, we don't really know what that is or how many things that might be. And so while other people bump up against what they know and turn to the side, extraordinary lives manage to push through what they know and know more. Now, now here, I want, I want to tell you this, because this will blow you away, Dan. I just, and I love talking to you, because I, I forgot for a minute that we're you know, on your podcast. I feel like I'm just talking to a buddy like we talk over the phone. And there so, you go. So I want to tell you this, because this is, for your listeners, this would probably be, and this is explained in the book, but John says so many, so many things that I was remembering and all like this. And one of the things that he says, and, and this just is killer, he says, you can't always believe everything you think. Hmm. How about that? Isn't that wild? All right, but here is the secret philosophy. And I can do this in, I don't know, 70, 90 seconds. And, and as you listen to this, and, and I'm talking to your listeners here, as, as you guys listen to this, notice how you will agree with every single thing. But... Know that it's tougher to put into place. But if you want to live an extraordinary life, it is absolutely necessary that you do. So here it is. Here it is. This is Jones' secret, and this is in the book. This is Jones' secret philosophy of extraordinary achievement. If you're thinking like everybody else is thinking and you're doing what everybody else is doing, you're probably doing something wrong because everybody is not achieving results that we would call extraordinary. So if you're thinking like everybody else is thinking and doing what everybody else is doing, you're probably just contributing to the average. Even if you're in first place or people are pointing to you and saying, look how good he's doing, chances are that you're contributing to the average at a high level. But a high average is still average. Do you want to have an average life? Do you want to have average finances? Do you want to have average results in your business? Do you want to, uh, to raise average children? 
Do you want to have an average marriage? Do you want to have an average amount of influence in your community? No, no. If, if I gave you a magic wand, you would flip that magic wand around and you would make every single part of your life absolutely extraordinary, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Okay, okay. Well, then if you would, then we have to be very careful when we find ourselves thinking like other people are thinking and doing what other people are doing because the results of that are average results, and that's not what you said you wanted. Oh, my. I have three children, Andy, as you know. When they were small, they knew there was no better way to kill an opportunity but then to tell mom and dad, well, everyone else is doing it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Because we told them very early on, if everyone else is doing it, you probably need to go the other direction. The best is never popular. The best is never what most people are doing. Let's look for that extraordinary. I love that. Andy, you, when, when you say that you tell stories, you know, you're writing. Sometimes I just want to kick myself because I don't read three fiction books a year. I don't like fiction. I don't like things that are just made up. I'm totally in the nonfiction world, you know, self-improvement, personal growth, and all of that. And I read your books, and I get so caught up in the story. And I never know, am I reading fiction or am I reading nonfiction? What is this thing? But you so magically weave in those solid life principles, really high-level positive principles for living extraordinary lives. In your stories, I don't know, I, I, don't, well, I, I certainly don't know anyone else who does it in a way that you do, but your books, I mean, I've read every single one as soon as I can get my hands on them, and it stands alone as being in that genre that I've never really put my finger on. I don't think you've explained to me, sometimes bookstores have a hard time figuring out <laughs> yeah, where to do. place your books as they well. Do. But it's that magical combination of stories, which we know are a way to have people remember principles. But then weaving in the principles that you do, I commend you on that. Well, buddy, yeah. you're very kind. And I, 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 you know, for a long time, I, I was the same way. Um, about about nonfiction, I, I thought, you know, come on, just give me, give me the, you know, the straight stuff, give me the scoop and all like that. But I, I a couple of things I noticed. One was that um, that I remembered stories, you know, where where a lot of times I did not remember facts. And here's the other thing: as a person, as an entrepreneur. As a person who's trying to create create something out of the average, I have found that that a uh, and, and not a, a constant diet of fiction books, but a steady a, a steady or a consistent diet of fiction books thrown in with the nonfiction that I read. You know, to, to to read two or three or four nonfiction books, but then put in one fiction book. Here's what I have found it does, especially for entrepreneurs, especially for people trying to do something different, is it it uh, it, it 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 ignites the imagination in a way that nonfiction does not. And you and I desperately need our imagination ignited because imagination is where our dreams come from that is where our 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 possibilities come from that is where the uh the 
the will to actually do the drudge part of the work comes, you know, actually, it, it fertilizes the ground that grows all the stuff that everybody sees. Does that make sense? It does. That's a really good point. That's a really good point for Dan Miller to hear. Well, you know, because, because you and and curiously, there are some there are some books, some people that I read that don't really have anything to do business wise for me, but they help me to tell a story. They help me learn how to craft that. They help me learn how to engage other people. But the other thing I found out about stories that I found out since I. I'm going to see, uh, uh, I'm going up to Ohio State again in a couple of weeks for their football team and and I'm going to be talking to the coaches and all like that. But it was funny to me that one of the coaches said to me that they use traveler's gift, right? And, and so they said, you know, these guys, we make these guys read books, but man, they love the traveler's gift. They, this is like their favorite book of all time. Well, I didn't say anything, but I wanted to say, it's because most of those guys are not readers, and now they're getting to read a story. Yeah. It connects. Well, sometimes, sometimes I compare reading your books to going for a walk with one of my granddaughters, and that's exactly what you just described. Seeing the world through their eyes makes me see things that I otherwise would miss. They see a leaf that's a beautiful color, a stone, a little snail. They see all these things, and I think, wow, how much have I missed when these little girls are not with me walking through the woods? And your book does that kind of waking up for me. Oh, my goodness. There are things all around me that I just need to stop and pay attention to. I think, I think this one, the notice of returns... I, I am so excited about this for people. I I had the I guess the the benefit of no, of noticing. How about that? I'm using that <laughs> using that word. I had the benefit of noticing what people liked about the traveler's gift and what they liked about the notice, or or the, not necessarily what they liked, but the different ways they would respond to me about it. You know, with people with the traveler's gift going, oh, I love the seven decision. So they get that book for its entirety, and they give that book away for its entirety. But with the noticer, it was particular things that the old man dealt with in the book. You know, because he always seems to be there when somebody's having an issue, and and so in that book it was and so as I was going through this book and I was writing this I was able to you know spend the time that little bit of time that I ran into him but I was also able to figure out what he had said and apply it in different ways as I was writing so there's four things that are dealt with in this book one is parenting uh, you know, Jones is teaching a parenting class. When when I find him, he's teaching a parenting class to two people out on the end of a pier. Um, not under it, but on it this time. But but parenting, you, when you think about it, that is the fulcrum that our society is like tilting on. I really believe that parenting is what gave us the greatest generation. I think parenting is what has created a decline in our culture today. And man, you would not believe what he has taught that just, and you know, I have an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, and the things that he has just blown my mind with. And so these are in the book. The second thing is his business. 
entrepreneurship, how to create a business of your own that is very profitable and build it from nothing with almost no investment at all and and really make it work. And so he teaches several people in the book how to do that. And you see the story of how it goes and all. It's very cool. And the other two things uh, are uh, Alzheimer's. He deals with a lady whose mother uh, is in the throes of Alzheimer's. And uh, the last thing is death. He deals with a man whose wife is is dying. And uh, I, I got to hear some of that. And I knew that everybody else needed to hear that because it gave me a perspective about death that I had never had. And my mom and dad, of course, died when I was 19. And my grandmom had Alzheimer's, and we dealt with that for years. And, of course, you don't know anybody anymore who is not touched by Alzheimer's in in some way or another. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you talk about this rich relationship with Jones part being true, and then you expand on that with the stories and principles, but it really brings up a point that I want to ask you about, because I encounter so many people who have not had a Jones in their life. They're desperate for mentoring, desperate to be part of a mastermind group, desperate to have somebody come alongside them. They're more than willing to be taught, but they've never identified a Jones in their life. Do you think that anyone can, with intentional looking and positioning, find something, someone comparable to a Jones in their own life? I really do. I believe that with every every fiber of my being. Uh, but I also, and, I, and I'll bet you know why a lot of people never find them, too. Uh, and, I bet, and I'll bet you know why from both sides. Um, and, and here's what I mean. I, I think one of the one of the weirdest, scariest things ever in my life, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a writer and I speak and, you know, few people know who I am. And one of the weirdest, scariest things in my life is to have somebody come up to me and go, I need to talk to you or whatever they, and they say, will you mentor me? I need you to mentor me. I, I, somehow I, just, I was like, oh, gosh. And, and, all the time issues come into my all the things with my kids, what I've got to do, the things I'm already busy with. I mean, everything comes into my mind. But there have been many people, when I think back, who have made themselves easy to be around and made themselves valuable. And, man, I've unloaded everything I possibly know and call them up and tell them stuff that I thought of last night in the middle of the night when I woke up thinking about them and... I mean, I, you know, I give them everything. But I think that we have to be careful with each other, knowing, number one, that the, the person or persons that you probably want to mentor you, they're very busy. They're very busy. And, and so I think that, that if you can, or if we can make ourselves valuable in some way, and and open ourselves up to making it easy and get this. Now, this sounds so weird, but this is like Jones said. If you're thinking like everybody else thinking, you're thinking something wrong. Everybody else thinks if I'm going to get a mentor, I've got to ask them to mentor me. If I'm going to get uh, you know, a mentor, I've got to go and make this happen. But what I have found is the people 
who just make themselves very easy for me to be around or that it, somehow they've made themselves you know valuable to me whether it's just how they make me feel or something they did for one of my kids or just you know i mean value is a weird thing but those people Man, I just end up spending so much time with, but if you came and said, would you mentor me, I, I promise, I just don't have time. <laughs> well, here's, here's an interesting kind of uh, expansion on that, and, and you're right, but at the same time, I have found people who are very successful are much more willing to give advice than what we sometimes think. We think they're untouchable. We just recently did a 48 days challenge. So we invited people into this process where we walked through the 48 days. We had 383 people. Now don't that, tell me I just told everybody to do something that you had already told them not to do. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Okay, go ahead, Here, go ahead. Here's what I, on day 47, the instruction for day 47, the last one before the end, is take a millionaire to lunch. Find somebody who's doing what you want to do at a high level. Ask them to lunch. I have more people get stuck on that than anything else. Now, I had a gentleman who asked me, who was in that group, who asked me if he said, you know, I know you're really busy, but is there any chance you would go to lunch? And I said, sure. So I did. He's a very successful TV media producer, really sharp guy. We're sitting there having, having lunch, and I said, how many people do you think out of that group ask me? I mean, it's, it's kind of an obvious setup. It's my group, my book, and I give the instructions. <laughs> it's kind of a, he said, oh, probably 30 or 40. I said, no, there was one. He said, you mean only one in addition to me? I said, no, only one including you. Yeah, see, that's, that's why the pretty girl in high school never had a date. That's exactly right. So when we talk about your experience with Jones, I, I truly believe as well that there are people who have skills and resources that are readily available if we would just ask. You know Go what, man? That is that is so that is so true. I, I I remember one time getting so mad at Jones. This was years ago when I was still under the pier. And I was so mad at him because, it, you know, he would talk and talk and talk, but he said something. I can't remember what it was exactly, but he said something that I, I, I kind of turned on him and I said, you could have told me that months ago. I mean, do you understand how, I mean, I'm glad I know this now, but, but do you understand what a difference that's making in my life? And you could have told me, and I got madder and madder the more I thought about it. I said, you could have told me when we were so-and-so, you could have told me then. You could have told and, and man, I was just kind of, and he was sitting there just listening, taking it, and just that smiling little thing. And when I finally ran out of steam, he kind of punched me on the shoulder and he said, yeah, I guess I could have, but you never asked. Oh. And I realized then, you know, I, I, I guess I am the one that's supposed to be seeking wisdom. You know, he's not trying to chase me down the street and beat me with the wisdom stick. You know, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the one that needs it, not him. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think there's a biblical model, and certainly not original with me, but I've used it many times over the years, where I've told people, I really want you to have a Paul a Barnabas and a Timothy in your life. A Paul, somebody who is older, who will speak the truth in love, confront you, tell you stop doing that. A Barnabas, somebody who comes alongside and links arms, says, how can I help you on this path we're on together? 
And then a Timothy, someone who is younger, who you have the opportunity to speak in to their lives. No matter where you are, you have more experience in some area than somebody else who's a little farther behind you on the path. So being a mentor, being a Jones, doesn't mean that you're that you're Jesus, that you have everything. It means that in the certain areas of life, you have some expertise that could help somebody else. So this is very much a, a two-way street. Man, that, to, see, that's awesome. To ask and receive. And I love how you've shaped your relationship with Jones. People read this and, and pine away wishing they had a Jones, but my encouragement is, you know, look around you. You may have your Jones right there in your own neighborhood. Exactly. And I always tell people, too, you know, that's such a great, a great example, Paul, Barnabas, and, and Timothy, because I tell people sometimes when they say, I just can't find a Jones, and I, I ask, well, are you being a Jones to somebody? There you go. You know, because there you go. Because you know, we need to we need to give and I and I I find sometimes when I give, I I am given too. And you know, I happen to think Dan just while you were talking and I love I, I this reminds me of why I love doing podcasts because it, it's like the only place that I'm not really prepared. You know, you know what I'm saying? You're thinking on your feet, and you're listening to the other person, and you're going, you know, that reminds me of so-and-so. But as you were talking, I thought of something, you know, about getting a mentor and getting a lunch with somebody. And, I, and I'm thinking, because I know you are in a position now, I just I know what's happened in your business and what is happening in your business, and I know that you're in a position now where you're getting emails from people all over the world saying, I will fly in. Can I just have an hour? I'll take you lunch. All I need is an hour. And, and to them, it's just one hour. But to you, you're getting 100 emails like that a week. And so that's right. you kind of, you just can't. And so that's why you write your books. That's why you do your podcast, so that people can kind of have lunch with you. You know, they can put on their headphones and, and listen to your podcast while they eat lunch and have lunch with Dan. But I, I thought... Something I said a few minutes ago about the value thing, and and then I was thinking about okay, what you said about having somebody taking somebody to lunch, and and that well, how would somebody get me off my schedule? How would somebody get me going? Oh yeah, I want to go have lunch, and, and and there are a couple of things, and one is to find out, you know, what is it that somebody's doing right now? What is it that they're passionate about? Who is it that they just they would dive in front of a train for. Well, you know, I'd dive in front of a train for my little boys, obviously for my wife. Um, and, you know, the line gets pretty short after that. Uh, <laughs> but but I would dive in front of a train for my 11-year-old and my 13-year-old. And and if somebody came up to me, I mean, you know, just you only talk five or six minutes and said, hey, I heard you and your boys are shooting bows now. Oh, yeah, yeah, we we got bows for Christmas, and man, these aren't what the Indians used, you know. It is unbelievable, and we're we're learning, and 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 as the guy said, you know what? I have been bow hunting for years and years, and we do so and so. And I also understand. I heard from a friend that you collect antique outdoor magazines. And I was like, well, yeah, I I sure do. I I absolutely do. I have. A 1920-something, a 1930-something, a 1940 it don't matter. I 
have a so-and-so field and stream that has so-and-so, I would love to show that to you and talk to you about bow honey. Do you have do you have 30 minutes you can carve out sometime this week for lunch? I got a couple of questions I'd like to ask you too. Mm-hmm. Man, I'm all over that. Now, what you've just defined, I think that's a critical, critical point for our listeners. I am in the process of putting together a mastermind group right now. So I've got a team working on that. And one of the key components is I said, I don't want anybody in here who does not have just as much to give as they want to receive. And what you just defined was exactly that. What can you add to the conversation? Know a little bit about the person that you want to approach and get time from. Here's an example, Andy. I am here in my office. I have talked repeatedly about the profound impact of hearing the strangest secret when I was 13 years old. Yes, I had that little 33 and a third recording of that. Well, I mentioned, you know, in my talk, in my podcast and all, that over the years, I don't know what happened to that. Do you know that I have two of those in my office framed, the originals, in the original cover? Listeners who took the time to go out and find those and send those to me in special framing. Am I going to have time to spend 30 minutes with somebody like that? Yeah. You and bet. I don't, we, we don't want to set this up as, well, you, you know, you have, to, you have to give and give and give, but there has to be something that makes it an engaging conversation. And anybody can do that. I mean, when we talk about you have, if you don't give, you kind of make the water stagnant. And you don't have to write a check for a million dollars. You can give a smile, a compliment, write a card, pick a flower out of your garden and take it to somebody. Those ways of giving in little ways open the floodgates for you to be able to receive. And a lot of people just simply, I think, cut themselves off from having a Jones in their life because they aren't used to even those small acts of giving. Man, what a, that, that is awesome, Dan. What a great example that is. Because if people get in their mind, you know, because when we want to have lunch with somebody, it's like, well, how can I get them to do this? Mm-hmm. You know, rather than how can I become valuable for this person? What can I do that will be of value to that person? You know, in in the book, in the Notice of Returns, Jones is talking with the, the business people, and there there are several pages in this book about this conversation where he talks with them about how to top the competition. You know, once you have a business, how to always be way, way, way in first place in in what you do. And and it is it has something to do with that. I you know, we won't get into it right now, but you will you will eat that part up, brother. Well, I'm excited about it. Andy, your new book the noticer returns what's the easiest way for people to grab that and absorb all these things we've been talking about you know that's in in all the bookstores and it's uh, on amazon right now and so it i mean like right now it's out and so i am i am thrilled and and look this may be you know i had somebody give me um uh, well, I've actually had that happen several times, you know, that they've heard me mention something that I'm really interested in and, or the, some need I had, and they gave me a book. And I'm like, wow, thanks, you know. And so what I want the Noticer Returns to be for your listeners 
is I want it to be valuable not only to them and their families and their own lives and businesses. I want it to be a valuable thing uh, for them to connect with other people. Because, you know, it, you know how it is. I mean, if somebody changes your life, whether they led you to it or showed you what to read or whatever, when somebody changes your life, you never forget them. And I, I think this is what the Notice of Returns will be for your listeners. Not only a, an awesome story and a great guide, I think it's the most valuable book that I have ever written for people. So I think you'll find great opportunities to connect with others about it. Well, I appreciate that. And I know, I don't want to uh, promise anybody anything, but I know that we're going to be getting cases of these to give out. So we'll provide opportunities for people to uh, get their copy in one way or another because we want people to access these principles. I know your principles are life-changing, Andy. Thank you so much for carving time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about the Notice of Returns. Well, buddy, thank you. You are the best, and I, I have so much fun talking to my friends about things that I have learned from you. And, and also, I, just the book that you and your son wrote, that, that has been so huge. And believe it or not, that book, it, tell me the name of it again. Wisdom Meets Passion. Wisdom Meets Passion. I'm never good with names. I'm so sorry. I can't believe I'm on your podcast and I cannot remember the name of your, your book. But Wisdom meet, Meets Passion, you would not believe how many people I have turned on to that book who, who are having issues in their home with their uh, adult children or with their older children. And just the idea, just the idea of, oh, Okay, well, here's why we see things differently, because there's wisdom here that there's not necessarily yet here, and there's passion here that, you know, is a little older here. <laughs> the, the passion's a little worn out here. And just the idea of that book is worth, has been worth gold to everybody. So I, I appreciate that so much. And so tell Joanne Hay, and, and thank you again for the time. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy, so much. All right, buddy. Okay, I trust you enjoyed that interview with Andy Andrews. We continued for quite some time after this recorded section just because we enjoy spending time together. I hope you enjoy the Notice of Returns as much as I did. Books like this are not just to be enjoyed, but books like these have been the primary influence in my life to open me up to see new opportunities and to live an extraordinary life. Well, thanks for being part of this amazing community we call 48 Days. Thanks for uh, your involvement, your contributions, the stories you all tell us. Tell us how books like this have influenced your life. Thanks for your commitment to finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 